Uh, I learned a lot from that. I actually learned a lot more about building a company from doing house painting than anything else. It's where I learned that um, most of the value is actually in selecting the right employees. Um, there, you may not have 10x painters, but there's such a thing as a 3x or 4x painter. So I used to drive around with a stopwatch. I used to watch painters on the job and I would uh, hire those people who are very efficient and good at their work. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is episode one of a three-part mini-series recorded with Mark Organ, who is the founder and at the time of recording was the CEO of Influitive. He just moved to an executive chairman position one week before recording this update. Influitive was founded in 2010 in Toronto, Canada and has raised 60 million USD in funding and is the leader in the G2 quadrant for customer advocacy software. 87% of people who work there would recommend the company according to Glassdoor. Total employees though have dropped 16% to 125 over the last two years, but they're doing north of 25 million USD in ARR, average recurring revenue. Mark describes himself as a mix between a street fighting entrepreneur and a research scientist. He was the original founder and former CEO of Eloqua and took them to $20 million in ARR and 165 people. It was later sold to Oracle for a cool $870 million. He talks in this episode about the power of trying to understand your fellow human and about building great teams. And it was recorded in Sastock in my hometown of Dublin. Mark, great to have you here in Sastock on 14 Minutes of SAS. I'm delighted, Stephen. Fantastic. Recount to us briefly uh, your life um, up until the point you founded your first big success, Eloqua. Sure, wow, my whole life. Um, <laughs> 90 well, seconds. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so I, think, I think the salient is sort of two big, two big um, parts of my life before I founded Eloqua. One is, I call it street fighting entrepreneurship. Um, so I had actually built a, a couple of small businesses before I founded Eloqua. Yeah. Um, I, I, did a, I had a house painting business, which actually morphed into custom artwork. Wow. Uh, which was really cool. There were some really great stories about that. Um, came up with a couple of innovations. Uh, I hired good-looking people, had them paint shirtless, um, including a woman, um, <laughs> to drive a lot of, a lot of business. Um, morphed into custom artwork because a, a couple of the people, my painters, happened to be from art school, and that was four times as profitable as this normal house painting. Uh, I learned a lot from that. I actually learned a lot more about building a company from doing house painting than anything else. It's where I learned that um, most of the value is actually in selecting the right employees. Um, there, you may not have 10x painters, but there's such a thing as a 3x or 4x painter. So I used to drive around with a stopwatch. I used to watch painters on the job, and I would uh, hire those people who are very efficient and good at their work. Anyway, Phenomenal. So I did that. I did some custom software and other things like that. Um, very scrappy door-to-door uh, -door sales, that sort of thing. So that's one part of my life. And the other one is as a research scientist. Um, so uh, my parents really wanted me to be a doctor. That was not what I was fated to, to go and do. But maybe the next best thing was to have a PhD. Um, so I, and I was fascinated with the brain. I was fascinated by why people do what it is that they do, what motivates them. Um, so I went to go study neuroscience. Um, you know, the supply and demand uh, dynamics of research are not very good. 
Um, and, and also, you know, it's drudgery, it's tough work. I think I would have made a great professor, but I was not a very good graduate student or not would have been a very good postdoc. And also I was lonely and, and I, I missed my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, and so I managed to get out of uh, my PhD. I got my master's and went back to Toronto to be a management consultant. Um, but those are the sort of the two things that I think make up kind of who I am today professionally. In many ways today, I still am a, a street fighting entrepreneur and a research scientist. I'm still out trying to discover today why and how people advocate. Um, what is it that marketers really need to accomplish to be successful in the era to come? Uh, you know, these are things that research scientists have to do well. They have to be able to predict the future, and they have to discover things that have not been discovered before. Um, but and but I'm still as scrappy as ever, um, and so that's kind of who I am today. That's fascinating. So we have a lot in common. My first job was in the Institute of Neurology. Wow! As a molecular biologist in Queen Square in London. That's interesting. Yeah. And I went via biotech, but eventually I had to get out as well and oh, meet that's more super people. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you know, what's interesting is that I worked in a molecular biology lab too, but I was not a molecular biologist. So okay. I was the only physiologist in this lab. So you got to imagine, you got a place, pristine, clean laboratory. People pipetting things. Probably was your job doing that. I brought in all these rats. <laughs> Depressed rats, depressed rats. Do you know how you know a rat's depressed? No. Um, well, there's a phenomenon that humans have called learned helplessness, and, and they're depressed. So rats have something similar. If you put a depressed rat in a tank of water, they just float there. Um, they're just, you know, a, a, real, a normal rat will swim and swim and swim for around 16 minutes until they get exhausted. Anyway, so but what I was doing is I was putting different substances in the brain to see what would change their depression, and it turns out that both rats and humans produce our own antidepressant substances in our brain. And we were, our lab was first to figure that out. Wow, anyway. that, is a big, that is a big deal, wow. Um, our, our, our lab was one of the first to uh, discover uh, the link between mitochondrial genetics and disease, it was the first actually. Oh, that's cool, that's I, a hot area now, eh? I, I worked for Anita Harding, who actually made that discovery, and like a lot of women. I know the name Anita Harding, she, sure. She's been, been kind of written out of history a little bit, but uh, but she was phenomenal. You'd know because you're, you're a scientist yeah, in no, the debate. Yeah, yeah. So, you were the founder and CEO, Mark, of Eloqua, uh, and you've had a much more colorful background before that than I realized, which is brilliant. That was eventually sold to Oracle for $800 million, you know, which is phenomenal. Tell us a little bit about that amazing experience. Uh, how was, how, you know, from the start, how, how was that? Yeah, so in terms of my, my journey, so I took the company um, seven years up to about 20 million era uh, and about 165 people. Uh, so I got the company to a certain point and as a 32 year old you know, founder CEO, uh, the, the, you know, our board made a decision that they wanted to bring in uh, experienced professional CEO. Kind of place. So I was actually not the person to sell the company for. Okay. Um, that, that said, that was a very interesting experience but, for me. But you created uh, the company. I did yeah. create the company, yeah. and, and you know, even to this day, you still see um, some of my stamp that's that's still still on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, an I mean, that, that happened to Goddard Abel as well. Uh, so were you gone by the time they sold it? Uh, yes. Because I Goddard Abel produced big machines, and they sold that yeah, to 40 actually, million. And he, he regrets that the, the, that he put so much into the VCs, and that he would, the company actually went down a little bit after he received that. Did you it, have it the same? So, and, so, and so did ours, yeah. I okay. thought the new CEO came in. It took, it took him a little while for, for him to find his sea legs. Okay. Uh, my uh, and Goddard's journey are incredibly parallel. Really? Really? Uh, both in terms of what he did at Big Machines and, that, and me at Eloqua, and again with him at Steelbrick and G2 Crowd, and, 
where you know our, our, our um, professional lives actually dovetail quite a lot. Um, I know him well, and he's an absolute gentleman. Yeah. Uh, he sure is. No, yeah. he's he's a he's a great guy, and we're both fascinated with this new world of you know advocate marketing and, and participating in you know in this space. But in terms of the journey, um, you know, an amazing and very challenging journey of sort of self-discovery and leadership. You know, um, uh, you know a lot of self-doubt, um, a lot of great learning along the way. I was really um, lucky and blessed to have some great mentors along the way who. Uh, who taught me, you know, there's no amount of reading you can do and I do a lot of reading in books and I go to conferences and whatnot to learn but you know unfortunately you know failure really is the best teacher um, you know along with uh, mentors who've also failed and, uh, and and who give back and it's one thing that I love about the SaaS space is that people really do give back that's why I love doing podcasts I mean if there's I hope that there's something in that we talk about today that uh, people can learn from and can avoid making uh, avoid making mistakes. Definitely. I think the main, you know, the main category of mistakes that I've made, like most CEOs, is around people, and it takes a while to learn, um, you know, how to hire, how to manage, how to develop people, um, you know, how to hold people accountable, when to let people go, um, and, and especially when you're doing that while a business is growing quite a lot, uh, and, and you're a founder CEO in your 20s. Man, every day is uh, every day is, is an adventure, um, and so one of the things that I would counsel, you know, if there are founders uh, on this, is try to spend as much as you can really understanding people, and and you know, take notes along the way of what you've learned, um, because uh, there there are a lot of there are a lot of gems in there, and I think ultimately what you're hired to do, I believe, is as a you know as a founder CEO. Um, is to develop people. Um, it's it's and I, I went through my own sort of journey on that. You know, coming from from Bain before I started Eloqua, I was um, uh, maniacally focused on generating measurable value for customers. That was because that was Bain's true north, and so that's and that really took me through some dark days at Eloqua. Right? I mean, uh, look, Eloqua was a bootstrap company for uh, over three and a half years before we raised any money. We almost went bankrupt four times. Um, it was that focus on making sure we made money for customers every day and that they saw the value, they experienced the value. That is what allowed us to get through the tech wreck of 2001 and 2004. Sure. That said, as a CEO, it's very limited what you're able to do. Maybe you can do a, an occasional PowerPoint, you can present something on stage or whatnot, but 90% of your tools are people. Yes. And if you can't figure out how to get the most out of people, then you are not doing your job. Um, and ultimately, my board at Eloqua, I think, felt like I wasn't getting as much out of people as a new guy was able to get, and, and they made a change. So, um, so Mark, you know, I imagine that when you create something like that, it becomes almost like your baby. Uh, I know that uh, I know that Goddard would have been affected for a little while when that happened, when that first happened to him. You know, at the time. You know, because I, I can see there was kind of a break for you between 2007 and 2010. Yeah. Did it hit you hard, all of that? It did hit me hard. Um, not so much because it was my baby. I think, again, I had good advisors who coached me to dissociate my founder role from the CEO role. And I was really focused on being the best CEO that I could be. Um, and, and there, I think, were some legitimate reasons for making a change. I also think there were some illegitimate reasons for making a change. Sure. Um, that you know, I won't go into here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but 
you know, at the end of the day, look, I was still a shareholder of the company, and if if the board felt like a professional CEO come in and could drive more value, um, like there at the time were 165 people that were depending on uh, me and senior leadership. There were hundreds of customers that were depending on us. So that's actually not what hit me hard. It was actually more mundane things. Um, all my friends were in the company. Um, I'd sold every asset I had to put into the company. Um, you know, so that was hard being away. Uh, and, and a lot of the people, my friends in the company didn't know how to treat me. They didn't know if I was a friend or an enemy or what. That's weird. And so that was weird and that was difficult. Uh, but then there were also some things that were wonderful. Look, I had at the time a four month old uh, little girl. So you had time to spend with her? I had time to spend with her. I had time to spend uh, with, with my wife. Um, I think those years, 2007 2000 to 2010, we built a very strong marriage, uh, which has been very useful sure. while building a new company. Um, <laughs> we, we went on some adventures. I actually uh, moved to Asia for two years. Uh, I was based in Singapore, and that was a riot. Yeah, um, I love Singapore. It's great, really great. Great food. The I think three big coaches in one place. You're right. The best food in the world, I think. Yeah, more than three, I think. Um, but uh, And it was great uh, living and, and working there. And I, I built a little business as a marketing consultant there. And I worked with companies in, in China and India and Indonesia and uh, Malaysia. And a lot of fun. Uh, and I learned a ton. In fact, a number of the, I brought a number of the ideas that I learned into Influitive, which is pretty useful. In the next episode, Mark confesses to having an obsession with cash flow in the early stages of his startups and explains why this obsession led to the founding of Influitive. And it's not all business. We'll also find out how many months it took him to learn to speak and understand Mandarin and what app he used to make that happen. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill, for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.